0: I'm going to read the text, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get after it, okay? Um, verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when He ascended on high, he had, He led a host of captives, and He gave gifts to men. In saying He ascended, what does it mean but that He also descended into the lower regions of the earth? Father, we are your people, we are your children, we are the community of your kingdom, gathered in this little place, and we are here for you. You are the reason we gather, because you are worthy. Chief Shepherd Jesus, Senior Pastor Jesus, we ask you to shepherd us well this morning. We ask that you would shepherd hearts and the unseen things that need to be dealt with today. We pray you would deal with those. We want to pray that you would take control of this time and cause only your truth, only your word to be communicated. May you rule well. Holy Spirit, do all that is necessary to lead us to a greater knowledge of the Son of God so that we may grow into Christ who is our head. And may every joint supply what is equipped to supply so that we would be built up in love. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The church gifted for the mission. Now, chapter 4 has marked a transition in the book of Ephesians. And we have learned through chapter 1, 2, and 3 that the mystery of the gospel is this unifying work of Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection to take the curse and break it and restore back to its order All of creation. At Babel, the walls went up between nations and peoples. Sin creates barriers between people. The rebellion broke the nations up. At the cross, the walls came down. And in the community of the kingdom, we are now one. Jesus is our head. He's the chief shepherd. And in making disciples of the nations, our task is that in the church, we would be one. And so the mystery of the gospel is that the Lord Jesus at his death has broken down the walls. Jew and Gentile, slave and free, are now one in Christ. Okay? So in chapter 4, the transition takes place. Therefore... Boom! For the rest of the book of Ephesians, Paul is going to be laying out for us the implementation of the mystery of the gospel. Last week, we learned the first piece of that implementation is because of this work of the gospel, this mysterious work of taking what was broken and divided and making it one, we're to walk worthy in that calling. We're to walk worthy in it. We dealt with what it means to walk worthy last week. Today, we're going to see... That we are to apply, to apply our unity by every person. I want you to hear that. Every person. Not a few special ones. Not the dumb 80-20 rule. It's a lie. If it's 80-20, the body isn't unified and it's not growing into its head the Christ. If 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work, the body isn't functioning. 80% are in sin and rebellion against the Lord Jesus. Make sense? That's not the case here. Right? It's not. But there is no 80-20 rule in obedience to Jesus. Every person, this text tells us, has been gifted for the mission and when properly working, that is hundred hundred, everyone working and supplying their gift, the community of the kingdom of Jesus Christ grows into maturity. Uh, a few weeks ago, as uh, I my diet's trash, as you know that, except for the past eleven days now, which is awesome. I just decided to bone up and get it done, so I went back to eating right, and it's amazing. But I work out like an animal. Um, I know you can't tell it. I don't want to shame any of you guys. But I was doing a, a workout that involved snatches. And snatches are my favorite movement in weightlifting. I love a snatch. 115 pounds, which is lightweight. I was doing 50 of them. Okay. So 50 snatches. And, uh, and I sprained something in my shoulder. And what happened was I noticed that that caused me to compensate in my elbows. Which caused the elbows to hurt. And that caused me to compensate on the down in my knees. So I got a little over where I needed to be, and so my knees were aching. And you know what happened? My shoulder affected my elbow, which affected my knees. It's kinda of way it works when it's lifting weights, right? Anybody who I know we got waters in here. I know Scott, I see he's my hero. Scott i won't be like him one day. And so you know that if you hurt one thing, it's going to affect everything else in the body. That's just kind of the way it works, right? Well connected. connected. If something is broken, it affects everything else. This is why, I believe this is why, Paul uses the analogy of the body. He uses the analogy of joints being held together in the body by what that joint supplies to the functioning of the body. Meaning, if it's not functioning well, it doesn't just affect that joint it affects the whole. So if 80% are not doing their gifting, the 20% are suffering. And I would argue the 80% are suffering too. They're just deceived into thinking it's okay. And so Paul uses this analogy of the body to help us see that every joint is to supply something to the body. And so we have in this passage our second component to living out this mysterious gospel. And that is inside the church, it is gifted for the mission. Bob Roberts used to tell us all the time. When we're training to plant churches, he says the resources are in the harvest. There's nothing outside the body you need to bring into the body to do the mission. A healthy fellowship led properly should produce its own leadership, should produce its own resources and be completely able to function. And it will. But it must be done right. And so we see in this text that the church is gifted for the mission. The Rivers Community Church, you need nothing outside of what the Holy Spirit has brought together in this church to do what God's given us to do. You just don't. You don't need any more money. God has graced this fellowship with abundance and resources. That that doesn't mean quit giving. That doesn't mean you got, well, I can take off and not give. No, 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 no. If you're not giving, you're in sin. There's a box in the back. Drop it in. We all do. Right? If you're not, you're in rebellion. Right? Just bottom line, it's not yours, it's God's. And when you get that principle down, you start realizing, I don't give cause I have to, I give cause it ain't mine. Right? God's graced us with abundance. Abundance. And we seek to steward that well. We don't need outside money, you don't have to write grants to do the work of the kingdom. Inside the body of Christ. You don't need outside pastors. God's raised them up from the inside. Because if anyone aspires to the office, he desires a noble task. So if he meets qualifications, let's roll. God has gifted the community of the kingdom with everything it needs to do the mission. Three rivers, you are amply, fully set up for the task. There's nothing lacking. So let's dive right into some, some of these Giftings and what the Lord has done and why he has done it. And we got three main points this morning. That's not Southern Baptist. I didn't try to keep it at three. It's just kind of what's in the text. Not trying to make anything up, not trying to add anything to it, just dealing with what's there. We're going to start though in verse 13 to verse 16 to see a little bit about what we are to do because we're gifted. So point number one the universal church, the church global. We are to grow up into Christ Jesus as a unified body. Listen to verse 13 to 16. Until we all, 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 all. So all of us in the global kingdom of God, and all of us in Three Rivers Community Church, all those covenanted together to walk together in this mission, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to... Mature manhood. So all that unity and faith and knowledge of Jesus is moving us to maturity. To the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. Purpose? So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Great plan. No. Rather... Like opposed to deceitful schemes and craftiness and human cunning, speak this truth in love. But that passage doesn't mean you get to mouth off your opinion and that equals truth. That's kind of what we say. Well, I'll just speak the truth. No, you're just a jerk. You don't know, no. This truth, this mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ unifying a body for Himself among all nations. Speaking that truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, whole body, joined and held together by every joint, which with which it is equipped, equipped, it has been equipped with every joint. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The church Local, the church, global is to grow up into Jesus as a unified body. He spells that out in the text. The church is to attain to the unity of the faith. Inside the Great Commission, inside our mission of the glory of God among all nations, through being and producing radical followers of Jesus Christ, we are to attain the unity of the faith. We hit this last week. We are to be unified. There is no division. There is no distinction. There is no nothing that keeps us separate in the body. We are in Christ to attain to the unity of the faith. In other words, the Christian faith, faith in Christ produces unity. If there is not unity, there is no faith in Christ. Bottom line. You can't say you trust Jesus and be divisive. It doesn't work that way. We're to attain the unity of the faith. But he also says the church is to attain the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. So we live by faith in Christ Jesus and we grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and that also produces unity. We must grow in our understanding of Christ. This is why we preach the Bible. This is why we open the text and communicate it. So that we grow in our knowledge and understanding of Christ. Knowledge is not to be shunned. Nowhere ever in the history of the church should we stop learning and growing. And and sounding the depths of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. By the way, a little glimpse of the kingdom come. Learning, education, isn't just for now. It's a means of grace by which the Lord puts together the pieces from the fall that are broken. But it is also an eternal reality that forever we will sound the depths, the nature and character of Jesus Christ. And we will never reach them for He is eternal. So teachers, your profession isn't just now. You will school people forever in the heavens, in the new heavens and the new earth on the glory of Jesus Christ. And so we sound those depths now, recognizing we're not going to get there, but boy, we're never going to use the lame excuse. Just God, God just doesn't want us to understand that. That's the lamest excuse in the history of the planet. That's cop-out for I'm lazy. I don't want to think. Man, Jesus is there to think on and meditate on. As James Stewart, the Scottish divine said at one point, he is the meekest and lowliest of all the sons of men, yet he spoke of coming on the clouds of heaven with the glory of God. He was so austere that evil spirits and demons cried out in terror at his coming. Yet he was so weak, winsome, genial, and approachable that little children loved to play with him and the little ones he nestled in his arms. No one was half so kind and compassionate towards sinners, yet no one ever spoke such red-hot, scorching words about sin. A bruised reed he would not break. His whole life was love, yet on one occasion he demanded to the Pharisees how they would ever escape the damnation of hell. He was a seer of dreams and visions, yet he was a realist. This this glorious mystery of Jesus Christ, the eternal God-man, is enough to keep you busy. Think on Him. Because as we think on Christ, guess what we don't have time to do? Be disunified. You think on Christ, you will be in unity, because Jesus, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in unity. We think on Him, we reflect Him as image bearers. So the knowledge of the Son of God, we push that, we press that, we learn, we grow with the Scriptures as our guide. It's in the manual. And as we do that, we attain the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. He also says here in verse 13 to 16, the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God leads to maturity in Christ. And that our standard is Jesus Himself. So as we think on Christ, we go grow toward maturity. How do you grow up in Christ? Think on Jesus. Open your Bible, read, study, do that in community. And as we do that in community, as we think on Christ in community, as we gather around Jesus, we will grow into imaging forth Jesus. We grow up into Christ. And he says here that it leads us to not being unstable and tossed around by every new teaching that comes along. I think one of the sad things that happens in Western Christianity is we are infatuated with the newest preacher who has the newest message or writes the newest book. There's nothing wrong with good communicators of the Bible, nor is there anything wrong with writing books. Lord willing, I'm going to put my fingers to the keys in the coming months and Lord willing, produce some things. There's nothing wrong with that. But you should not live your Christian life around that. Does that make sense? One of the great challenges of the Western church is discerning truth from lies. Because, dude, if you put Jesus on it and put it in book form, you can make a lot of money. And the Western church is so gullible, we'll buy it. And we'll eat it up. Next thing you know, we're spewing lies. How do we keep ourselves from being blown and tossed around by every new teaching that comes along? We focus our knowledge on Jesus Christ. And we grow into Christ. And we seek Christ. And we follow Jesus. We follow Jesus, not pastors, preachers, teachers. We follow Jesus. And to the extent that that pastor, teacher, preacher follows Jesus, they're worthy of listening to. This union, this unity, comes from this glorious unity that Jesus Christ Himself has already given. This unity comes from the union already given to us in Christ. And it is moving toward one day the full unity and full union with Christ on earth as it's already done in the cosmic realm which Paul has dealt with in chapter 1 verse 20 and 21. When he prays for them that they would have their eyes and hearts enlightened to know the hope that he's called them to, and the riches of their their our inheritance in the saints, and the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he or when he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age but the one to come. And he put all things under his feet. This Jesus is currently sitting over unity. He is currently ruling unity. It is under His feet. And He made Him head over the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. So this unity that we are striving for in the knowledge of Jesus Christ has been given in Christ, and we are, by His shepherding, moving toward full unity on this earth as it's already being done in that cosmic realm. And didn't Jesus teach us to pray for that? Father in heaven, make your name great. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on this earth as it is in the heavens. Didn't he teach us to pray that? This is, this is, this is what we are in Christ in unity moving toward. Into Christ where unity is found. Where there's disunity, there are many gods and Jesus isn't one of them. In other words, we're to grow into what Jesus has already made available to us. It's not like we have to go make this up. It's already available. And we are to grow into it by following Jesus. And as we grow into Christ, who's seated in the heavenlies, ruling unity well, and we grow into him as our head, unity will be the standard of the body. So so, so that's that's where this thing is moving. It's where this thing is moving. Let's work our way back up into the beginning of this text. Point number two each Christian has a vital part in growing up into Christ in accordance with the grace given. By the ascended Christ. Each Christian has a vital part. Listen dear believer. If you're in Christ. You have a vital part. Of the body growing up into Christ. There are no unimportant people. In the community of the kingdom of God. Hear that. Verse 7. And then verse 8 to 10. And we can read verse 16 again. But listen to verse 7 through 10. But grace was given to each one of us. According to the measure of Christ's gift, therefore it says, "When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men." In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. I'm going to stick to my notes for a minute, so I don't mess this up. So hang with me. Verses eight to ten are an interpretation from Psalm 68.18. you has got a little reference Bible. And you follow the little letters over to the margin and you look at the letters. You say, oh, Psalm 68.18, that's interesting. And you go read Psalm 68.18, you're like, hmm, that's interesting. These verses are an interpretation from Psalm 68.18. And a parenthetical commentary about Jesus from Psalm 68.18. Unless we get into some scholarly language or get lost into some scholarly language of why Paul takes the liberty to quote the text as he does in Ephesians, we're just going to say that we have to remember that Paul's focus is not primarily on the historical reference of the psalm, but on its typological fulfillment in Christ and his gifts to the church. That's a quote from D.A. Carson, by the way, and you see my footnote there. This is the kind of inspiration work of the Spirit and the inspiring of the canon of Scripture that can help us learn to read the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus. That's class we have to do at some point, reading the Old Testament through the lens of the Gospel. And this is the kind of work of the Spirit that we can't do unless expressly done in the canon of Scripture. And nobody in here is writing Scripture. So you can't do what Paul just did there. So don't try to do what Paul did. Don't try to mimic Paul here with other quotes from the Old Testament, less expressly done by the writers of the New Testament. But what Paul does here is he takes a passage in which a king... This is huge. Listen to this carefully. What Paul does here is he takes a passage in which a king ascends to his conquered kingdom. And in doing so, it is typical that the king receives gifts from those he has defeated. And that's Psalm sixty-eight, eighteen. But Paul then turns it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to tell us that when Jesus defeated the kingdom of darkness, he ascended to his throne. And rather than take gifts from his conquered, that'd be us, he gives gifts to us. Then Paul launches into this parenthetical commentary, clarifying exactly who he's talking about, lest you miss the point. About what Jesus did. If Jesus ascended to his throne. In and above the heavenlies. He had to have come to earth in his incarnation to do his redeeming work. So that he who descended is the one who ascended to fill all things. And this therefore can be done by nobody except Jesus the king. So rather than in conquering us and placing us in his kingdom. Rather than exacting things from us. King Jesus, in ascending to His throne, gifted us with everything we would need. So what did Jesus do in His ascending and conquering march to His throne? I put a little parenthesis there. Go see the Pentecost in Acts 2. Jesus told them, go wait, Jerusalem, till you're empowered from on high. And I will send the Spirit to you. What did Jesus do in ascending and conquering and the march to His throne? He poured out on us all we would ever need. What did he do? Well, the text tells us here in verse 7, grace, giftedness is given to each follower of Christ in the church. This word that is often, it can be, some translations translate it gifts, some translate it grace because it's the word chorus. It means grace or it means gift. This grace, this giftedness is given to each follower of Christ in the church. Listen, but grace was given to each one of us. When Jesus ascended, taking His rightful throne, ruling His kingdom, and He took you out of the domain of darkness and placed you in His kingdom, He gave you grace and gifts. Grace and giftedness is given to each follower of Christ in the church. There's no ungifted person here. And I'm not talking about a spiritual gifts inventory. Smart people can manipulate those. Guys who have this sinful ambition to be a teacher, all you got to do is answer the question the right way. And it'll tell you you're a teacher. And you're like, hey, I'm a teacher. And everybody around you goes, no, you're not. No. Right? I'm not talking about a gifts inventory. I'm talking about the supernatural gifting of the Holy Spirit in the body to achieve the mission of the body. I'm talking about this reality that when we gather, and keep in mind, when Paul's writing to these churches, this is where we kind of get confused and messed up on gifts. He's not writing about the implementation of gifts in a large gathering. He's writing to small patches, small bodies of 30 people, maybe less, meeting in individual homes. They didn't get the temples for the gods until Constantine made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. They were meeting in homes undercover, small groups of people. And when he gives an instruction in Corinthians about gifts, he's not writing about how to do gifts in a 3,000 member worship service. He's talking about when you're gathered in home, and you're meeting under my name, Here's how you exercise your gifts. And what you've got to understand is those gifts are given to everybody in the church for the building up of the body. So there's nobody in this room that lacks gifts to build up the body. I'm trying to think of when to say this. If I wait to B or C or say it now, I'll just wait. I'll hold off. Build your anticipation. So there's everybody, if you're in Christ, you have Holy Spirit dwelling in you. And the capacity is there for whatever gifts He wills to give you for the body. There's nobody here ungifted. If you feel you're ungifted, it may be because you've isolated yourself from the body who may need the gift the Spirit may want to give you for that other person. If you're praying for gifts for God to prove to you you're gifted, you're not going to get it because He doesn't give gifts for you. They're for me, and don't rob me of that. They're for others, don't rob them of that. So everybody here is gifted. B, this grace, this giftedness is given according to the measure determined by Christ. 1 Corinthians twelve eleven, Paul says that the Spirit distributes the gifts according to His will. So as Jesus gives in His conquering march, the Spirit distributes according to His will which is the will of the Father and the Son, meaning He will give to you what He determines to give to you. You don't get to determine the measure. Meaning you receive it gratefully and you say thank you. According to the measure of Christ's gift. We don't look at those who have more and envy them. We don't look at those who have different and envy them. We look up to Lord Jesus, who is chief shepherd, and we say, Thank you for the two talents you gave me. And you go and multiply to make two more. Grace, see, and giftedness, properly exercised by everyone, makes the church grow through the building up of itself in love. That's verse 16. 1 Corinthians twelve seven tells us, The manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. You're gifted for the mission. The mission, the glory of God among all nations, make disciples of all nations, local, global, be plugged into Christ, radical follower of Jesus Christ, mission, inside that mission we're to be unified in that. You have everything you need to be in that. Everything. Holy Spirit hasn't failed to gift you. The question may be you may have isolated yourself from the body. Grace and giftedness properly exercised by everyone makes us grow makes us grow and we are built up in love how do you build a strong church that right there there it is right there so exercise the gifting that the spirit would give you obeying the manual do what it says and he will build us up in unity and love so three rivers community church you're Perfectly gifted because Spirit has gifted you according to the measure of Christ's gift. Be unified, love one another, serve one another, grow into Christ, and we will be built up in love. Number three. Three. The Lord Jesus has given certain types of leaders, fundamentally those with different kinds of teaching gifts, to promote and direct such growth. And to ensure unity. The Lord Jesus has given certain types of leaders to promote and direct this growth and to ensure unity. This is verse 11 through 16. Listen to it. He's gifted everybody according to measure of his gifts. When he ascended to his throne, he poured out on us according to his will, whatever we would need. Verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Wow. So, what's the role of leadership in the church? To equip the saints for the ministry. That's it. That's it. What's the means that he gives here for the church to attain this unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, maturity in Christ, and Christ being the standard, and stability so that we're not tossed around by every new teaching that comes along? What's his means? The means given in this text is the gifting of a multifaceted plurality of leadership in his church, which we spent the morning doing with a brother who's trying to turn a congregation in this direction. We planted with this so we don't have to do that bloody work. God's means of shepherding toward maturity in Christ is a multifaceted plurality of leadership in His church. There's no such thing in the New Testament as one person having all of this. It's a multifaceted plurality of leadership. And gosh, we go back to 1 Timothy. Those notes are on the blog. You can go back and pull this stuff off of iTunes and listen to that two Sunday marathon of dealing with biblical church leadership. There's so much in the New Testament and in New Testament scholarship that can be explored here probably in a classroom setting, but that's not so much our intention, nor the intention of this letter to the Ephesians, or our intention this morning. In mentioning the apostles and prophets along with the uh, with what the Ephesians regularly knew already in pastors and teachers, Paul's not suggesting that apostles and teachers will always be given, nor is he suggesting that they've gone away. Rather, Paul is stating that apostles, prophets, pastors, and teachers are gifts that can be given to those inclined in their desires to lead the church who are also qualified with right character. Meaning, that as those men respond to the call of 1 Timothy 3, 1-7... Apostles, prophets, pastor, teachers, evangelists, these gifts can be given and are built in usually to this group of men. So there is a plurality and multifaceted group of leadership leading the people. Paul also doesn't give the article, the the, to teachers. Now some have said this means that the pastor's primary function is teaching. And I, I agree that's that's to a degree true. But I think Carson suggests something that's a good middle ground here that's helpful for us. And although this is where I'll pick up a Carson quote, although the pastor elder overseers to be able to teach, Carson suggests, and here's the quote, in this longer listing of different ministries, it is more likely that the two groups with overlapping functions are in view and thus teachers were a distinct group. So, if you want to say the pastor's primary job is teaching, true. If you want to say there are also guys who are shepherds, but are also primarily teachers, you can say that too. Thumbs up. Thank you, DA. So, inside the plurality of leadership in the church to move us into unity of Christ, all these people gifted in Christ for the mission of the church, he's given leadership in a multifaceted fashion to lead that work. And he says there are apostles, prophets, evangelists, Pastors and teachers. First apostles. We're not going to spend a lot of time here. We're going to hit fast and move. Apostles, meaning one who is sent an ambassador, one designated particularly by the Lord, the twelve who were witnesses about him to the frontiers of the world. Now some say this gift isn't active. Some abuse this gift by assigning it to wrong people, and people who exercise other gifts, such as traveling speakers. It seems like this gift, by its very definition, is one that is given to people who go to new places and start new works in the work of the kingdom. This could be manifested in a church planter, a cross-cultural worker, who's going to UPG-type places in order to pioneer the work of the church and making disciples among all people. So why apostles? Why would God give in leadership of the church people who start new things, We're just a little thing called the Great Commission. And Jesus said, go make disciples. Meaning the church is to be actively, constantly reforming and moving. The church is never to be static. Three Rivers Community Church, God forbid we get static. We are to be actively moving forward and going. Meaning we should constantly be reinventing ourselves based on the text of Scripture. And as God raises up leaders who have an entrepreneurial spirit, who start new things, we don't hold them back. We say, go. The Spirit set apart Barnabas and Saul to the work He would called them to. And did they stay and have a meeting? They left first missionary journey. So God gifts leaders with an apostolic bent, entrepreneurial bent to start new works. This is why, Lord willing, sometime this fall, we'll have a church starting center here. We have everything we need from how to start churches. Good Lord, that's what I was trained in. To time to do it. To an organization will pay guys to come here and apprentice under us for a while. Apostolic type leaders who start new things. We're constantly sending people, this church is awesome. We're sending people to the nations. Eric's making a list so we can properly shepherd them. God, we got people all over the world. Those are apostolic giftings, starting new things. So he gives in this leadership apostles, he gives prophets. So a prophet means foretelling and forthtelling. That is some gifted by the Lord to look at future events. We see that in the book of Acts. Foretelling, people communicating the word of the Lord. Some believe this to be revealed in the role of the preacher. It seems this particular gifting is distinct from the gifting that the Spirit may give to anybody in the church as He chooses in a moment of revelation for the group that's gathered. This gift seems to be particularly geared toward the ability given to the leadership of the church to communicate the words of the Lord to His people. That would lead to the understanding of the role of the preacher, one who heralds the Lord's Word as a communicator of that Word by the way, this makes that role of prophetic preaching vital. It dare not be replaced in the life of the church. It dare not be replaced with pop psychology from smooth sounding talkers. Who seek to placate the sins of others by telling them it's okay. But rather one who prophetically opens the word, proclaims the word of the Lord. My prophets, this is the one that makes some of us Southern Baptists super uncomfortable because the Lord still speaks to His people. He speaks to His people. Jesus promised in John 14, 15, and 16 that by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, He and the Father would come to us and they would counsel us in the way. Meaning He's talking to us. Do we have ears to hear? Do you have ears to hear? Some of the greatest things you will learn in growing into Christ is to stop and listen. I'm just throw this on. You feel compelled to say this. I tweeted this out yesterday, and uh, and uh, and and I I just feel compelled to say it because the Lord is wrecking my heart with this. I said this to our pastors a few months ago. Why is it we think we can break the Sabbath without impunity? You know what they stoned people for in the Old Testament? All kinds of stuff, right? You know what one of them was? Breaking the Sabbath. Now, I understand there are, there are all kinds of gospel implications in the Sabbath. You can go back. We preached on that when I preached through Hebrews like 27 years ago. You go listen to that. There are loaded gospel implications. Read Hebrews 2, 3, and 4. Loaded gospel. The Sabbath preaches the gospel. But there are also practical considerations. So Those practical considerations... Check this out. Why did God tell them to not plant on the seventh year? Because he would cause there to be enough in the sixth to supply them for the seventh. I Meaning they would have to intrinsically trust God to be God. And not take the role of God themselves. Hey, you can be like God. Just take his place. Work harder. Do more. Don't rest. Can't afford to rest. Be God. Be your own God. Make your own way. Right? Did God rest on the Sabbath because He was tired? No, because He gave us a model of what it was like to stop and realize my mission is not to take your place, but to stop and trust that you can make up what is lacking. Busyness that pillages us of trusting God is unbelief. And when will the church in the West stop and go... I must follow Jesus first. Without faith it's impossible to please God. You may not please man, but that's not your job nor mine. Why prophets? Because God speaks to His people. Why can't we hear? It's because we don't stop to hear. We don't stop to hear. I don't want to hear the Lord because the Lord might tell me to stop. And if I stop, then I won't be productive because then my God of myself won't be worshipped properly. Why prophets? Because prophets need to speak the word of the Lord. Evangelist, youangalisto, guys who tell the good news. Man, I love evangelists. I am not a good one. Guys who can just take this glorious gospel and like three and a half minutes articulate it from Genesis to Revelation to lost people. They're not afraid. They just They look for they look for lost people. They're bold, and we look at those kind of people. Going, I think you're a little too bold. I think your strategy's bad. I think I'll adopt another strategy. No, God's gifted men to lead the charge of proclaiming the good news because it's easy to get static and happy and just like, oh, let's just focus on you know Sunday morning worship. Make sure that's slick. Pastors, shepherds. One who cares for and guides people to the right places. Man, Father has gifted leadership of the church to keep Father's people headed the right way. Jesus chose the analogy of shepherd and sheep on purpose. He's the chief shepherd. He guides his sheep. He calls shepherds to be his under-shepherds to guide. These are these glorious men who can display apostolic and prophetic and teaching gifts. But man, these guys love to guide and lead and even discipline people to the Father's ends. Sometimes they're extroverted, sometimes they're introverted. But regardless of how God's wired them, they love being around people and counseling and dealing with conflict. Even they just take straying sheep and they can lovingly beat them with the rod and get them back in line and make them think they're just being loved on. That's not me. Not me. I'm trying to grow in that. I've told you before, I'm a terrible counselor. Here's what a counseling session with me looks like. You ready? Stop it. There you go. There we are. Stop it. Emmett and some of these other men are so much better. But these men are organized and administrative and have the strategic ability to lead and organize. What a precious gift. Leading the Father's people to His end. Teachers, meaning person who is a master instructor. This is a person who can explain complex truths in a communicable way. These are usually introverted type people who like to ask deep questions and think on them and don't like to be disturbed. This person is usually a lover of people, but they don't get their energy from being around groups of people. They get their energy from being alone. One of the beautiful truths, though, of this passage is that King Jesus did not give all these gifts to one man. Be wary of the man who tells you he's all this. There's only one who has all this, and his name is Jesus. That's why he's the chief shepherd. This is one of the reasons in our fellowship we don't have a title of any of your pastors called senior pastor. There's only one of those, and his name is Jesus. But God gives these gifts to a group of men so that they can lead with unity through diversity, leaning on each other for the exercise of their gifts. And I would say this describes your pastor as well, Three Rivers Community Church. Why is the Lord given these precious leadership gifts to the church? And why is He giving them to Three Rivers? He has given this to equip us for ministry to build up the body. Your pastor's job in applying this mystery of the gospel is to pioneer, tell you God's word, guide you, and teach you. Your job is to take the reins in executing the work that Father has gifted you to do. I'll give you two ways to do that. Make disciples in every domain of society. You know, we have turned you loose. Go make disciples in your domain of society. Gloriously tell of Christ and seek the restoration of where he has placed you. Real simple. Glocalization. We're in chapter 5, page 80. Go read it. And then, just apply the radical life. Communion with God, community, and collision with culture. Up, in, and out. Focus on knowing Christ. Focus on loving each other and being together. And then focus on coming out of that to multiply and engage in a man's society. You do those two things, you'll be doing a good job of taking what we give you And applying it in your context. The goal of the church inside the mission of making disciples of all nations is described here in this passage. The unified body of Christ growing into Jesus, impacting the world for the glory of Jesus. And the job of the pastor, teacher, evangelist, prophet, apostle is to nourish you with God's word and equip you for service. So that you can go perform the work of the ministry. And then finally, what do we do together? Hopefully you're starting to get the repetition. We do Psalm 147.1. As a unified body in Christ. Engaging the world. Following the Lord. Loving each other. Colliding with culture. We praise Him. Psalm 147.1. Praise the Lord. For it is good to sing praises to our God. For it is pleasant and a song of praise is Fitting. Redeemed people in Christ. Worship Christ. So I invite you this morning, Three Rivers Community Church, to walk like this. And walk like this toward the mission God has given us. Do it in unity. And sing. Because Jesus is worth it. Let's pray. Father, we adore you this morning because there is none other to adore. We want to have you first in our affections because anything else is idolatry. We want to love you more than life. We want to follow you more than any other thing. Lord Jesus, you said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. So, Lord Jesus, I ask you to speak to your people clear instruction, nothing vague, Nothing vague. Clear instruction. And Lord Jesus, if they don't hear you, clearly give them ears to hear. Holy Spirit, remove any barrier of hearing. If, if that takes a year, be sovereign over your people and do what you need to do to remove any stop, stoppage of hearing. But give us ears to hear and oh, make us willing to respond in faith. And bring forth from your people the fruit of lips that praise your name. Lord Jesus, may our praise this morning be pleasing to your ear. And may it be a display to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places of your multifaceted wisdom. To bring together a diverse group in unity because the walls are broken down in Christ. Would you pull that off this morning? We lean on you for that. For your glory. And man, for our ultimate joy we pray.